Well, good morning. I want to invite everybody to please stand and open your Bible to Ruth chapter 3. It is a tiny little bitty book in the Old Testament, right in between Judges and 1 Samuel. Ruth chapter 3. And like we've been doing the past two weeks, we will, whoa, those of you worshiping online, we're so glad you are with us. And as I said before I kicked off the microphone, we will read the whole chapter, starting in verse 1. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now listen, Boaz, our relative, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley. And she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there, lying at his feet, was a woman. So he asked, Who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Then he said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid. My daughter, I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in town in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not want to redeem you as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came into the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into the town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, what happened, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. He said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, my daughter, wait till you find out how things go, for he won't rest unless he resolves this today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this incredible day. And Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. There is no one like you. And Father, everyone here, everyone worshiping with us online, Holy Spirit, we ask that you be our teacher, that you would bring encouragement and comfort and strength. Father, that you would pour your great love into our hearts, that I would say only what you want, and that your name, Jesus, be glorified and lifted up. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, it is a joy seeing all of you here this morning. And just a quick little review as as we read Ruth chapter 3. We're in this small little book of Ruth, and there are three characters in this book here, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. There's others they talk about. 
But these three people, especially these two women, they are incredible examples to follow of faith and trust and hope. I asked a couple weeks ago, how many of us have experienced loss? And we've all have, whether it's losing our car keys, our wallet, our cell phone, or things far more important, friendships, loved ones, careers, homes. We've all experienced loss. And last week, Chris challenged us. He challenged us with this question. How do you respond when you experience hardship? And there are three three things that Chris covered with us. He says, do what you can where you are with what you have. I'll never forget our college basketball coach. He put us out on the track in the fall before, before practice started in October. And he put one of the football coaches in charge of us because he was not allowed to coach us until a certain date in October. And the football coach he put in charge of us was the defensive line coach. He looked a lot like me, but about twice as big with big time curly hair. And he would say every single day, gentlemen, don't avoid the inevitable, which meant he was going to run us to death. In life, hardships are going to come our way. We're going to experience them. And life isn't fair. But Chris challenged us last week to do what we can where we are with what we have. The second one was to behave as if God is the only one watching. The audience of one. And then three, choose to believe that God is good no matter what. The reality is God is good. He's always good. And you guys know the phrase, God is good. All the time. Oh, you know, that's not even found in the verse in the Bible. I mean, it is, but you know what I'm saying. God is good, but many times we doubt it. Many times we don't experience his goodness and we struggle, especially when we experience grief and loss. And we ask that question, God, if you're loving and good and all powerful, why do bad things happen to good people? And if you remember Ruth, Naomi, Naomi left Bethlehem because of a famine. She went with her husband and they went to Moab. It's about a 90 mile journey. Back then that would take several days. Moab traditionally were enemies of Jesus. I mean, not Jesus of Israel. They lived there for about 10 years. Their two boys both married Moabite women. And then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, he died. And then the ter- Naomi's two boys, they both died. And so she's left with her two daughters-in-law. And after 10 or so years, they then go back to Bethlehem. Think of the loss and the suffering she herself has experienced. Think about it. And she gets back to Bethlehem with Ruth because Orpah had decided to stay in Moab. And there she is, Naomi, a widow, with her daughter-in-law, who, daughter-in-law who's also a widow. Great loss. And she tells the people in Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. Think about that. Would you ever change your name to bitter? Call me bitter. You see, here in North America, we just take very lightly the meanings of our names. We take very lightly the power of words. You know, the phrase that sticks and stones may may break my bones, but names, you know, names will never hurt me. That's like the lie from the pit of hell. There are words that people call us as little children that we'll never forget. And they feel like a pound, a a thousand pounds on our shoulders 
because words do have power. So think what Naomi was calling herself and the curses she was calling down on herself because she thought that God's mighty hand was upon her, against her, pressing down upon her. Think about that. Have you ever felt that way? I have. Are you honest enough to admit it? That God's hand is against you? And then we see in chapter 2, as Chris taught last week, Naomi encouraged Ruth to go out. And it just so happened she went out to work. And it just so happened that she worked in Boaz's field, a man of great noble character. So today, waiting patiently for redemption. You see, we have to remember and remind ourselves that Naomi and Ruth, both of them living together as two widows, they didn't have much of a future. And as widows back in that time, during that day, they didn't have social security. They didn't have men that were surrounding them and to protect them and to watch over them. And I'm not being sexist. I'm not being male chauvinist with that. That was just a reality. They were extremely vulnerable. And here we have in chapter 3, verse 1, look at what it says here. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you may be taken care of? That right there, we could land right on that verse because we could unpack it for 30 minutes. Naomi already is changing. The Lord is already changing her heart because she had lost everything and come back to Bethlehem. And when the people say, aren't you Naomi? What does she say? Call me bitter. But here, after several months, after the harvest, and she sees Ruth go out day after day, working and working. And as she sees the hand of Boaz blessing Ruth, giving Ruth food, and as Ruth comes back to Naomi every single night, and as they begin to experience God's faithfulness, you see, because many times when we experience great loss and great grief, it's when we'll actually experience God's goodness and faithfulness in a deeper, greater way. When life is easy, it's so easy to forget about God and his goodness and grace. And all throughout the Old Testament, we even see the Lord telling the Israelites, when you have a security of land and you have food and you're blessed and you have no more enemies, remember, remember, remember everything that I've done for you. Do not forget. Because the temptation when all goes well is that we forget God's goodness. We forget his grace. We forget him. But the challenge is, is when everything goes wrong and when life is hard, we have a choice. We can clench our fists to heaven and say, how dare you? Or we can open our hands up and say, here I am, your humble servant. For a time, Naomi had her fists clenched against God Almighty and declared that God was against her. But as God continued to work in her life and in Ruth's life, You see here in verse 1, what's she doing? She's taking responsibility. As a good mother-in-law, whose daughter-in-law is now a foreigner in Israel. And what does Naomi say? My daughter, as your mother-in-law, shouldn't I find someone to take care of you? She's being a mentor. To Ruth. Then she tells what to do. Boaz is down on the threshing floor and he's threshing the barley and he's going to be there tonight. You see, the harvest is over 
And they're now threshing all the barley and all the wheat, all their harvest. And it's at Boaz's property. He was a very wealthy man. And he and his servants would take turns working every night, threshing the harvest. And Naomi knew that Boaz would be there. So she tells Ruth what to do. Wash, take off your morning clothes, put on your best clothes. Go down there, but don't let them know you're there. Now, as pastors, we gather every Monday to talk about our sermons, how they went on Sunday, and then what we're going to preach about the following Sunday of the eight campuses of Brentwood. And one of our greatest, one of our biggest concerns with this passage right here is we're afraid that young men and women, especially because it's related to Ruth right here, that Naomi is telling Ruth to put on her highest miniskirt, her highest high heels, to deck herself out in makeup and go down to the local bar and try to hook up with Boaz. That's a concern of ours, is to be sexually aggressive. And unfortunately, there are some theologians that say that's kind of what Naomi was saying, but it's not. All throughout chapter 1 and chapter 2, the scriptures declare that Ruth and Boaz, both of them were of noble character, good character. So Naomi is not telling Ruth, to get sexually suggestive and super attractive and try to hit on Boaz. That's not what Naomi is telling Ruth to do. Naomi is interpreting for Ruth all the cultural issues and context for her in Israel. She's watching over her as her mother-in-law saying, your time for mourning for my son-in-law is over. And we have a law in the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament, which was their law called Family Redeemer, Kinsman Redeemer. And what it was is that when a husband would die and he would leave his wife as a widow, the closest male kin, which was usually a brother, was obligated to then take that widow as his wife and to watch over her and to love her as if she was his wife. And it was to protect widows. It was to protect their family and it was to carry on the family name. Both brothers had died. The father had died. And so the next closest male who is related to Ruth, to Naomi, has that responsibility. It's to protect and to bless. And it just so happened that Ruth was working in the field of Boaz. And so Naomi, as a good mentor, is teaching Ruth, is showing Ruth not only what is culturally correct, but even what Scripture says. And we need to remember they are of noble character. Have you ever met anyone of noble character? You just knew, you knew that their word was gold. Jesus is the ultimate person of character. And there are men and women in our lives filled with Holy Spirit who are men and women of character. Paul himself said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That might come across as arrogant, but is it? Paul was a human just like you and me. Could you tell others? Could you tell your spouse? Could you tell your kids? Could you tell the people in your own small group at your own work? Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Think about it. What does Ruth say? Verse 5, she says, So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. There's a question that we ask quite a bit in our sermons. 
Who are you discipling? Who is discipling you? All of us, if we love Jesus, we're commanded to make disciples. It's the Great Commission. Every single one of us who love Jesus, we should be discipling somebody. Now, for some of us, it's our own blood children. It might be our spouse. It could be a sibling. It could be a neighbor. But we all are called to make disciples. It's not just the job of the deacons or the pastor or the super Christians. So who are you discipling? Who is the Ruth in your life who you're pouring your life out to and you're showing them and pointing them to Jesus? The other question is, who is discipling you? Who are you humbling yourself to get up under, under their teaching, under their guidance, under their spiritual insight? And you're submitting to what they are saying. Now, first and foremost, it's Jesus. It's him. But Jesus puts men and women in our lives to disciple us and to teach us. And he's also called us to make disciples. And so here from verse 6 on down to verse 14 or verse 13, Ruth goes. She hides in the threshing floor area. Boaz is working. He gets done. It says he ate, he drank, and he was of good spirit. He wasn't drunk, okay? Have you ever had a good, hard days or day or week of work where at the end of the day, after eating dinner, you've worked hard and you're full? Have you ever experienced that? So here Boaz is. The Lord has blessed his harvest. He's a very wealthy and noble man. And there that night, and this must be important because that train is awfully loud. He lies down to sleep and he goes to sleep. Why is he sleeping in the threshing floor? It's to protect his harvest. Ruth comes up. She uncovers his feet. It's a cultural thing about submission. And that's one of our favorite words here in the United States. There's tons of things that COVID has taught us and is teaching us. And one of the things that COVID has taught us as good old Americans is we do not like to submit to anybody. It's a bad word in our vocabulary. But Jesus calls us to lay down our lives at his feet and die. To take up our cross and follow him. We're called to submit to one another. We're called to get up under others and lift them up for Jesus' glory for his sake. Boy, it's hard to do, isn't it? Can I get an amen? Y'all seem like you're sleeping. It's hard to do. Thanks, Simon. Boaz is startled. He wakes up. Who is this at my feet? I had to to jump, hire Michael Jordan or LeBron James if that happened to me. And Ruth is like, no, no, it's just me. But then she calls him out. And she's basically telling him, I'm no longer mourning. I'm ready to get married. And let's be honest, I can imagine during that whole harvest, they might have had their eye on each other. I mean, they're people just like you and me. Ruth knew that he was the family redeemer. She thought he was the closest of kin. 
Boaz knew that there was another relative that was even closer. So he's respecting his cultural context. He's waiting. But they're both of noble character. They're both of incredible integrity. They have shown with their actions the way Ruth has been committed to Naomi, the way Ruth as the younger widow has taken care of Naomi, and the way Boaz has proactively protected not only Ruth, but all of his female servants. And the way he told all of his men, do not touch her. As he watched over her and as he blessed her, and he's known for being a man of great character. So we have these two people of incredible character coming together. It's God's sovereignty and it's God's providence. It's as if they both had their eyes fixed on Jesus running, running the race that's set up for them in faith. And all of a sudden they look to the left and to the right. They're like, oh, hey. God's bringing both of our paths together as they trust Jesus. God. Sorry, I jumped ahead of the cross. Boaz tells her, he blesses her. Blessed are you, daughter, because you didn't go after some young man. Makes me wonder if Boaz was ugly. He was older, of great character, a whole lot of wealth, but maybe he just fell out of the ugly tree and hit every branch going down. I don't know. But he was of great character. I got another fun joke. Maybe he was beat by the ugly stick as a little kid, but you know. And he tells her, there's another relative who's a closer family redeemer or kinsman redeemer. And when we get up this morning, I will go talk with him to see if he's willing to redeem you. And if not, I'll do it. So they go back to sleep. There is nothing sexual in this night of sleeping. Absolutely none. And for many of us today, we find that shocking. How could that be? And it's so sad, it's so unfortunate today that even in Christian circles, sleeping together with our boyfriends and girlfriends, it's expected. It's expected. And Jesus wants so much more for us than that. He wants so much more for us than that. That morning, Boaz tells Ruth, he says, hey, we're going to get up and I don't want anybody to recognize you, so you're getting up early. And it's not because they're being sneaky. Is to avoid the appearance of evil. There's two verses of Scripture. There's a tons of verses that talk about avoiding the appearance of evil. One is in 3 John 11. There's not even a chapter in 3 John. 3 John 11, look what John told the Apostle John. This was centuries later. He tells this dear brother, he says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil is not of God. You see, Boaz and Ruth were both of God. They were doing what was good. And it wasn't because it was in their own nature. They were sinners just like you and me. But it's because they trusted God. They trusted Yahweh. And they followed him with all their strength, with everything they were. They were men. They were a man and woman of great character and integrity. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says something very similar as 3 John. Stay away from every kind of evil. Do we stay away from every kind of evil? Paul says in the book of Acts, he strives to keep his conscience pure before God and before men. Do we strive to keep our conscience pure? 
Now, we can't do it in our own strength. We have to trust Jesus and the Holy Spirit to live in and through us, but he promises to give us the strength to do it. But are we men, are we women of character, of noble character, of integrity? Are we men and women of our word? For when we say it, we'll do it. And people can trust us that we'll do it. And if we don't do it, they'll trust us that we'll come on our knees with cap in hand and ask for forgiveness. We failed. Then right here at the end, right here in verse 15, it says he, he tells Ruth, hey, pull out your shawl. And he fills it with barley, 60 pounds worth. And she puts it on her shoulder and goes back to Naomi. Not only was Ruth of noble character, she was, she could do CrossFit, I bet. But her heart and her spirit were even stronger. She, get back, she gets back to Naomi here in verse 16. This is awesome. I love this. And I could bet Naomi probably didn't spend a single wink of sleeping that night. Chomping at the bit to hear. Now Ruth gets back and there she is, Naomi at the door. What happened? What happened? What happened? Tell me, tell me. Give me all the goods. Not gossipy. And so Ruth just unpacks everything. And then look at this. In verse 17, she said, He gave me these six measures of barley because he said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. When Ruth came, when Ruth and Naomi came back to Bethlehem, Naomi declared, I went away full and came back empty. Boaz prophesies over Naomi. I don't want your daughter, I don't want your mother-in-law to be empty-handed. Look at what Naomi says. My daughter, this is verse 18, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest. He won't rest until he resolves this today. A man of great character, a woman of great character. Boaz told Ruth, hey, you go back home. There's another family redeemer closer than me. And if he wants to redeem you, he will. So Boaz is even submitting to what God's word says. And I could imagine in Boaz's heart, he's probably praying, oh, Lord, please have him say no. Please have him say no. Because he was in love with Ruth. Ruth was in love with him. This was a God thing. As we say in Spanish, this was a diosidencia that was happening. And Naomi knows Boaz. He's a man of great character. What he says, he does. One of the books, you know, Horton saw who and all those Dr. Seuss books. I mean what I said, and I said what I meant 100%. And Naomi knew that, that Boaz was a man of great character and that he was going to resolve that issue today and that he was going to redeem Ruth and he would put Naomi under his wing under the covering of his wing. And we're going to talk a whole lot about this next week. But Boaz, this whole story, Boaz, Ruth, it's all a reflection of Jesus. You see, because we're just like Ruth and Naomi, foreigners rejected with absolutely nothing, dead in our sin, lost and broken. And we need a redeemer. And that redeemer is Jesus. And if you remember a couple weeks ago when we were finishing up Luke, When we were finishing up Luke, it says the two disciples were walking and they didn't have a clue and Jesus shows up. They didn't see Jesus, didn't even recognize Jesus. They saw Jesus, but they didn't recognize him. And then Jesus says, oh, you're so slow of heart, so slow to believe, so hard-hearted. 
And it says he started from Moses and the prophets, and he taught them everything that the scripture said about Jesus. Well, the story of Ruth, it all points us to Jesus. So in closing, I have a couple questions for you. The first one is this, and I hit on it earlier. Who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? And if you don't have anybody, ask the Lord Jesus to put someone in your path to disciple. I'll tell you right now, we are in great need of having more, not volunteers, but men and women, especially you young men and women, to help Lauren with the children. We have more babies being born and more babies here and more young kids here. And she's in dire need of people who would be committed to discipling young ones. We have a growing older elementary group, and we need men and women, young and old. Our student ministry, our young adult ministry, and then everyone here. Who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? Who are you willing to get up under and submit yourself to? And don't tell me the Christian answer, Jesus, well, of course. But Jesus works through his church. Of course, we submit to Jesus. And he calls us to submit to his church and to allow other people to speak into our lives. Sometimes really hard, tough truth hurts, but it's for our own good. Last one is this. How is Holy Spirit speaking to you in this chapter today? How is Holy Spirit speaking to you today? I want to ask the worship team, at least Trevor, to come up and play, because we're just going to focus on that question. So Trevor, if you come on up and play, how is Holy Spirit speaking to you today? And we're going to stand. I just want to invite everybody to stand, because we're going to roll into our Lord's Supper. And we are going to spend a time just in reflection and confession. But this question here, how is God speaking to you in chapter 3 of Ruth? Let's just take a moment in silence to let Holy Spirit speak to us. Let's pray. Father, I praise you and thank you, Holy Spirit. We praise you that you're here. So again, I ask Holy Spirit, ask him, what are you teaching me today? And I want to encourage you If he's revealing sin you're guarding in your heart, selfish, sinful, prideful attitudes, confess it to him. If he's telling you to take a step of faith, to put your faith in Jesus for the very first time, you never have, you've always heard of Jesus, but you never put your faith in Jesus, I invite you to do that today. If there's a brother or sister or even a non-Christian whom you need to forgive. That anger and bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, it's only destroying you. If there's someone you need to go to and get on your knees, figuratively or even physically, and ask for forgiveness for the things you've said, the things you've done, I encourage you to do that as quick as you can. Holy Spirit is here. He's very present. He loves you. He's the one who reveals the secrets of our hearts. 
He's the one who speaks life into us.